0: Sure. First John 4, beginning in verse 1, John declares, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And Father, we just pray this morning that your Holy Spirit of truth would help us to understand the word of God properly and that as always, Lord, We wouldn't hear wiser, persuasive words of a man, but experience the demonstration of your spirit and power, speaking to our hearts through these very things you have spoken already in the word of God. So may your spirit who gave us the scripture be who teaches us and speaks to us, and may we each have an ear to hear what your spirit wants to say to this part of your church from this portion of your word today. And we offer this to you as an act of worship. Speak to us now, Lord, we ask together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, though willingness to believe is incredibly important to the spiritual life, as well as relating to God, the Bible tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God, that we must believe that God exists, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and the way that we are saved, the most crucial thing of all the Bible tells us is by believing, not by working or doing anything, but by believing in Jesus Christ and the work he's accomplished for us in our salvation. And though willingness to believe is incredibly important to the spiritual life and relating to God there are also some things that we're supposed to not believe. In other words, it's essential that we believe, but there are some things that we should not believe, that we should not put our trust in. There are some areas where we should be an unbeliever, that we should refuse to believe. And the reason is certain things and certain ideas that we may hear or even certain ideas that we may have or hold simply are not true. They may be wrong ideas. They may come from, as we read the last verse here this morning, a spirit of error. And we must know how, therefore, to distinguish between a spirit of truth and a spirit of error. And it's essential in order to do this that it requires us to exercise what we might call spiritual discernment to exercise spiritual discernment. That means to perceive or to distinguish between things in order to make a proper spiritual judgment. And this is what our verses are addressing for us this morning. And they come on the backdrop of what John just concluded in chapter 3, where there he was informing Christians of one of the great assurances that God has given to us And that is that we know God himself is personally involved in our lives and ever present with us. John said the last verse of chapter 3, look at it. Because of the fact we know God abides or remains in us by the spirit, his spirit, whom he has given to us. So God has given us literally a part of himself to dwell inside of us. One of the blessings, one of the assurances for a child of God, someone has truly received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and been born again or born spiritually by God that happened at our salvation, that God literally gives us his spirit to dwell inside of our lives, to remain with us as we wait to enter heaven and be with God literally. The Bible teaches that the spirit of God dwells In you as a Christian, assuring you that you are God's child. Romans 8 says his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are now children of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God there speaking of the new body, the eternal body he's prepared for us to receive when we enter into heaven as we get rid of the sick failing earthly body, we receive an eternal body in heaven. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5, in connection to that, now he who has prepared us for that very thing is God, who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. That is, God has put his spirit within us as his children to guarantee that one day we will be together with the Lord in heaven and we will experience the fullness of being in God's presence receiving that new eternal body. And in John chapter 14 through 16, Jesus himself as well as many of the New Testament writers speak of how the Holy Spirit's role living inside of our lives as a Christian, as a child of God, is to be a helper within our lives, to empower us spiritually, to assist us to have a healthy relationship with God, and to live out the spiritual life. Jesus said this in John 14 of the Holy Spirit, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Then in the next chapter, John 15, Jesus declares there, but when the helper comes, the spirit of truth, he will testify of me. And then again in the 16th chapter, Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me for you will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So John the apostle, as he now takes the pen and puts it to the page under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as we've talked about, in his 90s. He's been walking with Jesus since he was a teenager, faithfully walking with the Lord decade after decade, being assured of this spiritual reality, because he's lived it out now into his 90s, of the Holy Spirit within him, working in his life as a Christian, helping him guiding him through his Christian experience, letting him discern between truth and error, seeing the presence of spiritual error, understanding the reality of lies that exist, he then declares, chapter 4, verse 1, look at it, beloved, my loved ones, again, this is from a heart of compassion, beloved, do not believe, he says, every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. there's Their origin comes out or from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John, notice here, indicates the reality of the constant presence of false teaching or spiritual error and in connection to that, the continual need to exercise discernment as a part of the Christian life. Now, first let me address the fact of the constant presence of spiritual error and the fact that false prophets and false teachers do exist. John says very clearly in the end of verse 1 there, as the Holy Spirit guides his words, he says this is essential because, look what he says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, I wish that John had said some false prophets have gone out into the world. More than I wish he would have said, just a few false prophets have gone out into the world. But the Holy Spirit prompts John to record many false prophets have gone out into the world, indicating very clearly that lots of deception exists in spiritual matters. That there would be and always has been a great multitude of wrong spiritual ideas. In the same way, last I checked, you can correct me if I'm wrong, fact, check me on Google, I think there's only one form of real money, and there's lots of forms of counterfeit money, right? There's only one genuine bill. All the rest are counterfeits, but there's lots of counterfeits, but one genuine. Well, in the same way, there is one genuine, real, true God, and one genuine, real way to get to heaven through His Son, Jesus Christ, and there are going to be many other false ideas and false things that are communicated, he says here, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, a prophet is supposed to be, biblically, one who speaks forth God's word. A prophet is supposed to be someone who speaks forth that which God wants to be declared. They're directed by God's spirit to speak what God wants communicated. So therefore, a false prophet Would in essence be very simply an imposter who indicates that they are speaking forth for God, who implies or may claim that they are sharing a word from God or sharing something God once said, but they are sharing false things. They're communicating error. They're not a true spokesman who has listened, not a true spokesman who has been sent out by God. But instead, notice verse 1 clarifies they are false prophets who have gone out into the world. You know, in Acts chapter 13, when they were sending out Paul and Barnabas, it says, The Holy Spirit spoke, said, Separate unto me Saul and Barnabas to the work for which I have called them to. And it says, Then the church prayed for them, laid hands on them. And then it says they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say they went out. It says they were sent out by the Holy Spirit and a genuine spokesman for the Lord is ordained and anointed by the Spirit and sent out by God to communicate on God's behalf what God once said, but then there are going to be plenty of others the Bible teaches that are false prophets who have gone out into the world. They've chosen to go out, or for some reason they have went out, and they are using perhaps even terms to claim they speak for God, but the Bible says, though they use those terms, They're not being led by God. They're sharing things that are stemming from another spirit, and they're presenting error, lies, false ideas, and as a result, they are misleading people and worse, deceiving people. Jesus himself, who was God in the flesh, warned of this reality. Matthew 24, Jesus said this, take heed, pay attention, beware that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Jesus said in Matthew 7, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Notice how Jesus described, they come appearing as if they're innocent and sincere and they're no threat. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly their true condition, Jesus says, they are ravenous wolves. In 2 Peter chapter 2, if it should interest you, you find basically a whole chapter there identifying characteristics of a false teacher or false prophet. A portion of that chapter says this, let me read it to you. But there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord. And many, I wish it didn't say many again, and many will follow their destructive ways and sensual conduct, because of whom the way of truth will be maligned, and then Peter says, by greed for money. They will exploit you with deceptive words. See, it is crucial for us to realize and to accept the reality that not all religious spokesmen or religious teachers or religious religious leaders are true in what they're doing. Not all religions are true, nor are all spiritual teachers communicating right or true things. There has always been and will always be, sadly, the presence of many speaking error and lies who are misleading people spiritually. As the result of that, that is why here in verse 1, John speaks of the continual need for the Christian to exercise spiritual discernment. Because there is a constant presence of false ideas and spiritual error, there is the continual need of the Christian to exercise spiritual discernment. You see what he says there, in verse one, at the beginning of it? He simply says, In light of this reality, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. So it tells us to continually distinguish between what's of God genuinely and what is not of God, what is true, what is false spiritually, to make proper judgments. And he says the way to do that, first of all, he says there in verse 1, is do not believe every spirit. In other words, we are not to naively believe the spirit behind every spokesman. We're not to believe the spirit behind all different forms of communication of what we hear people say or what we hear people teach. We're not to just instantly embrace everything. Certainly, listen, certainly the Holy Spirit of God speaks through many spokesmen and communicates wonderful things of God's truth, which are important and is directing the spirit of what some say and some teach. But that being said, we need to understand there's the presence of more than just one spirit who is the Holy Spirit of truth. There are other spirits behind what men are saying and communicating. For example, there's the human spirit of man, just the human spirit of man, which is sadly a sinful, broken spirit, right? The human spirit of man is prone to error and mistakes and false motivations. And then, of course, there's evil and unclean spirits, demonic spirits as well, who can communicate things that work in connection to Satan's rebellion against God and trying to oppose and resist the will of God. So the spirit of man can be a source behind someone is saying, and we have to remember that. Sometimes someone is communicating something or saying something or teaching something, and it could be that it is their human spirit, their flawed, broken human nature, their human spirit that is directing what they're saying. And listen, if that's the case, that's not something you or I should believe, (laughs) Because they're flawed. It's coming from their human spirit. And sometimes it could just be the error in their own thinking, wrong human reasoning. Sometimes they could have unhealthy motivations. And that's why their human spirit is communicating or saying what they are. And that's not wise to believe. As well as, as was said, sometimes a demonic spirit can be the source behind what a person is saying. Or the source behind what a person is even teaching. And if that's so... That's definitely not something safe to believe in. We definitely don't want to trust in that because it's directly intended by a demonic spirit to deceive or to misguide. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says this, now the Spirit of God expressly says that in the latter times, as the, the, the times wrap up before the return of Christ, some will even depart from the faith, giving heed to, now listen to these words, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrines. The Bible tells us to follow sound doctrine. The Bible says that there are some doctrines, teachings, doctrines in churches, doctrines, things being taught, beliefs being held that are of demonic origin. That's intense. But that's called God loves us enough to be honest with us. And God says, there are some doctrines that are not sound doctrines. So therefore, look, it is not right, nor is it wise or is it healthy. Carte blanche to just believe whatever is said because it appears spiritual. Or maybe it has Bible terms or Bible verses, or maybe it has references to Jesus. but instead, what does he say? Verse one? Instead, test the spirits whether they're from God or not. Test the spirits of those who are speaking. That word test means to evaluate or examine with a degree of scrutiny to find out if something is indeed genuine. It's the same term that was used when they would check gold to see if it was real gold or fool's gold or false gold. Or, uh, that was the same idea. They would examine and run through certain tests to a degree, scrutinize gold to make sure it was the real thing. And this is the idea here. We should scrutinize to a degree using good stewardship for our spiritual health and welfare. We should make sure that which we're hearing and listening to, whether it's just somebody speaking to us or someone speaking from a podium or you know a Bible teaching bod- podcast we're listening to or whatever, we should always use a degree of discernment to examine, to test, and to evaluate the spirit behind what is being communicated to be sure and know what spirit is directing that communication? Is, is that a demonic spirit or is that someone's human spirit just making them say the things that they're saying? Or is it truly from God? Is it truly of God and God's spirit seeking to know if God is indeed the one directing behind what is being spoken? And look, that can be done and it can be done today way better than any other generation. Because we have the full canon of the entirety of the Word of God, as well as we literally have the privilege of now having the Spirit of God Himself indwelling us. The very Spirit of truth dwells inside of us. And by the Spirit of truth within us and the truth of God's Word in our hand, we can distinguish. These very things. First Thessalonians 5 declares, don't quench the spirit, resist or hold back his work. And he says, Don't despise prophecies. Don't cast out the baby with the bathwater and and you know, just, just I'm staying away from that prophecy stuff. He says, Don't do that. He just says, test all things and hold fast to what's good. Be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't, don't resist the Holy Spirit and quench His work, and don't despise or, or hold contempt towards a prophetic word from the Lord. That, that you need that. We need the Word of God. We need the Spirit's ministry and the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation. But he says, but you got to test and only hold on to what's good. You know, if, if someone says, well, the Lord's put this on my heart, and I want to say this, that's fine. I'm going to listen. But then I'm going to decide whether the Lord tells me to receive that into my heart. Just because you say, thus say the Lord, or the Lord's telling you to say, doesn't mean that I need to receive that. I'm going to test that, and if it aligns with the Spirit of truth and the Word of God, then okay, I'm going to receive that as a word from the Lord. But we're to test and to hold to that what's good, Good, not being overly suspicious, not being somebody who's skeptical of everything, but just using stewardship, discernment. And John says, verse 2, by this, he tells us how, by this you know the Spirit of God. So we can know what's stemming from the origin of the Spirit of God. One translation renders that part of the verse, don't believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit, but this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. And that's all we wanna be able to do, to know how to recognize, okay, what really is? How can we know and recognize what's of the Spirit of God? Well, John goes on, verse two, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. So notice, one primary indicator, it's not the only one, but one very primary indicator that the spirit directing what someone is speaking is either from God, God the Holy Spirit, or from some other spirit is simply this, what they say about Jesus Christ what they say about Jesus Christ. Remember earlier I communicated to you from John 16, Jesus' words, Jesus said this, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would testify of him and would glorify him. That is what the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God does. He communicates what is proper and true about Jesus And he gives glory and proper honor to Jesus. And here John says to us in verse 2, this is how you can know and recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit of communication that confesses, acknowledges, that notice Jesus Christ, key phrase here, has come in the flesh. In other words, teaching will properly convey and uphold both, listen, the deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus was eternal God, and he was ever-existent there on God's throne forever and ever, and for a set time retaining his deity, then at a point in time, he added a second nature unto himself. Notice it says that Jesus Christ came. He came. He left from where he was, existing as God with all of his deity, and he came in human flesh. That is, God became a man in order to become the savior of mankind. Being God, Jesus became human by taking a body of flesh in order to do two things, to reveal God to humanity and to rescue humanity from their sin by being a savior for us. And it's crucial to have that proper understanding of who Jesus is and all of what Jesus did, and accomplished. And if that sound doctrine and scriptural belief about who Jesus is, fully God and fully man, God who became man, God who took a human nature upon himself as well and lived as the mediator between God and man to be the savior of mankind, to become the Christ, if that proper belief is held and communicated about Jesus, that communication, the Bible says, is stemming from the Holy Spirit. And we can be assured of that. That's the way you recognize the Spirit of God. It's properly representing Jesus, and it's glorifying Jesus as God, as the Christ, as the Savior. And if for any reason, John says there in verse 3, for any reason, any part of that reality about who Jesus is, is diminished or completely denied by any person or any religious movement. If it's diminished or denied, that's a clear indication God's Word says the spirit behind that communication or person is not of the Spirit of God. It's just not. If they diminish or deny anything of what's true and authentic about Jesus, it does not matter if they use Jesus' name in their title or their verbiage. It's not of the Spirit of God. It's not of the Lord. It does not matter what terms they use. Even if they speak of Jesus, even if they appear spiritual, if the biblical Jesus is not who they preach, the origin is not of God's Spirit. We saw this in 2 Corinthians. There in chapter 11, as we went through 2 Corinthians, Paul declared this, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then he says this, for if someone comes and preaches another Jesus, that's interesting, another Jesus, whom we have not preached, that is the biblical Jesus, or if you receive a different spirit, or you've not received, or a different gospel message by which you have not accepted, Paul says, you may well put up with it. He was concerned for the Corinthian church. But notice what Paul is declaring there, there has always been and there will always be not just false teachers, but there will also be people who present false gospels. Oh, we're presenting the gospel, but the gospel they're presenting is not the gospel of salvation. It's a gospel of this, or it's a social justice gospel. It's not the gospel of eternal salvation understanding the condition of their soul and heaven and hell and realities and the only way to get to heaven and be spared from hell through Jesus Christ and faith in him by grace and faith alone. And they're not presenting a biblical gospel. They're presenting a gospel, but they're leaving parts and ideas out of the gospel. Maybe because what they want is congregants and not converts. And that's not going to work in eternity. And then there are others sadly who will preach. he says, another Jesus, a different Jesus." Well there are people who talk about Jesus, but but the Jesus they preach isn't the Jesus of the Bible it's again, it's a, it, maybe it's a, it's a social justice Jesus that wants us to do things to help society and, acts of, and and there's all these different Jesuses that people and he's the relevant Jesus. you know he's, he, he's a little more laid back. he's changed some of his ideas because he wants to be relevant to modern culture now, and so he's he, or he'll embrace these certain lifestyles and sins now because he's the relevant, he's the modern Jesus. He's the 2022 Jesus. No, he's the eternal Jesus. He's the biblical Jesus. And Paul says there sadly will be people who will use Jesus' name and like spiritual advertising. It's just a perverse way to, to kind of gain a following, to keep their thing going. And they'll use the name of Jesus. They'll use some Bible verses, but their intentions are wrong and they're unhealthy, and they're drawing away disciples after themselves rather than leading people to Christ and connecting people to the Lord as they should be. And those who diminish or deny who Jesus truly is aren't just wrong. They're extremely dangerous. And I know that because look what he says the remainder of verse 3. He says this, those who are denying and diminishing Christ, this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is already in the world. So notice, he says, those who are denying Jesus for who he truly is, they're not just wrong. He says, they're operating in the very spirit of the antichrist. Now that's intense language. Again, that word anti that's used there is a term that means instead of, or in place of. So when the Bible speaks of the antichrist, the idea is instead of Christ, in the place of Christ replacing Jesus Christ, and such people, he says, are being persuaded by that very spirit of this coming world ruler who will one day be personified as a literal man, an individual world ruler called the Antichrist, who will one day exalt himself as a false savior for the world. Remember, John referred to this back in chapter 2 there in verse 18. He said in chapter 2, verse 18, little children, it's the last hour, and you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. But even now, many Antichrists have come, which we now know it is the last hour. And here he speaks of how this one day, this man, the Antichrist, this demonically inspired world ruler, will come on the scene, and he will offer himself as a wonderful savior for mankind. And he will present himself and promote himself in a way, charismatically, to capture the hearts of people. And he'll be magnetic. And even if he seems like he is completely creepy, people will say, but he's so magnetic. Wow. You just got to love him. He's incredible. And he's got all these solutions. And he's going to finally solve all the problems that we have in the world. One world, religion, no more fighting, great idea. One world, government, we can all just share our money. One world, you know, and and everything just bringing everything. And he's going to seem like he's a a wonderful savior. And he's going to have all these wonderful things about himself that causes people to be captivated. And his agenda is just to mislead and to, to misguide and really just an arrogant power to just bring humanity under his control in a way whereby he would receive worship like a God because he was there instead of Christ, and he wants to turn people to him and away from Jesus Christ. And that spirit one day is going to be embodied fully in a person, but sadly, John says here, that spirit of this man, the Antichrist, he says that very spirit at work is already happening in lesser ways. The spirit of Antichrist is operating through individuals in the world system right now. Now, how can you discern the spirit of Antichrist? Well, think of what the Bible teaches is going to happen with the Antichrist. When the spirit of Antichrist is working through a person, it's going to cause them to operate in ways where they arrogantly promote themselves. And in self-will, it's all about them and the attention upon them, and they will act in ways and speak in ways to exalt themselves as the one to be honored, the one to be recognized, the one to be, in a sense, loved and adored and followed, and they will promote themselves more than they really promote Jesus. They may talk about Jesus, but at the end of the day, the attention just always seems to be on them. You know, they're, they're, they're like the, 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 the lizard for a Geico. You know, just when, when you think about Geico... You don't really think about Geico, you think about that little lizard, right? And some people are like that, and sadly, some people in churches and religious movements in a, in a kind of very unhealthy, sick way can kind of begin to get like that. And, and, and they're just they're the face of the ministry, and, they're the, and there's this kind of promotion continually of always bringing the attention to themselves and the glory to themselves, and there's this arrogant spirit of wanting to have a little bit too much power and control. Just like the Antichrist, ultimately, he just wants to mislead to take power and control in this very distorted way. And this is very important that we recognize and beware of this Antichrist-type spirit, this perverse deception, to draw people after oneself in a perverse way rather than connect people to Jesus. That's what the Spirit of God is wanting to do, to connect people to Jesus. Now, perhaps hearing these intense things may frighten and alarm some Christians. So to assure those who, wow, this is kind of intense stuff you're saying here, John, he says in verse 4, but you are of God, little children, and you've overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So he says, look, you are of God. In other words, the origin, the source of your spiritual life is from God. And what's happened in you, John says to these little children within the church, it stems from a genuine experience with God. He calls them here, little children. The Greek is literally little born ones. In other words, he's saying, you are literally the born children of God. You've been born by God spiritually. You're God's legitimate child. And he's your spiritual father now. God himself is your heavenly father and therefore is his dear little child. He's gonna protect you. Yes, there are those false prophets and there's people running around with an antichrist spirit. And and yeah, that's real. And he's saying, and you need to be aware of that. But he says, you're God's little children. And like a good, loving, protective heavenly father, he cares about you and he is gonna shield you and protect you and God Almighty is even present within your life. And he's wanting to convey to them that's tremendous security. Tremendous security to know that we are of God and we're his child. And he says, therefore, you've already, notice, overcome. That is, overcome the unsafe individuals, the unhealthy person. You're already a conqueror over evil spirits and evil men and evil ways. Because of the fact that you're a child of God and the Bible teaches as God's children, we are overcomers because of God's presence and spirit working in our lives. Romans 8 says, For your sake we are killed all day long and accounted as sheep for slaughter, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And John here is wanting to give assurance that we can and will overcome spiritual attacks from evil forces that are around us. Look at the beautiful promise he gives there in the remainder of verse 4, where he says, because he who is in you, in you, who's that? God Almighty. The Almighty God, the all-powerful ruler of all, the mighty king, all-powerful, Almighty God is in you. He's in your life. And he says, and he is greater, that is greater in power, in strength, and higher in authority than he who is in the world system. And notice, he doesn't now use plural terms when he talks about he who's in the world. He uses a singular term because who's he talking about? The devil, the wicked one. The devil is the one who is the spirit behind all the false teachers, those running around with an antichrist spirit directing them. The devil, he, as the wicked one, is the unseen ruler inspiring false teaching, and evil things that we see happening in the world. Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 specifically described this saying such. 2 Corinthians 11, he said, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, and listen to what he says, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers... Also, transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Now, I wish the Bible did not tell me that Satan has his own ministers, <laughs> but God wrote that. And God said, even as Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, oh, that this has got to be a real spiritual experience. I saw this beautiful light. doesn't mean it's God. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light to deceive, to misguide. And he says in the same way, his ministers, Satan actually has sent out his ministers, sown ministers among the world, and I believe to some degree, maybe even among what we call the realm of the church, who transform themselves into ministers of righteousness and ministers of Christ and yet it's actually Satan who's directing what they're doing as an individual. That is an intense thing the Bible says. But look, we will always be engaged in spiritual battle. The devil is always working. The Bible tells us that, that there is spiritual warfare that goes on. Yet as God's children, the promise to you and I to assure us is we are of God. We are overcomers. And he says the reason is because he who's in you, God, he is much greater in power much greater in authority, much greater in strength than the devil who is directing the affairs of the world, who is causing evil things to come to pass, who is propagating false teachers and false doctrine. If you could illustrate it in the most basic sense, folks, what God is saying there in verse four, is our father is much bigger than their father. Our father can take the father of of the world system, the devil, any day. See, there's God and then there's the devil. They're not equals. God created the devil as an angelic being. He rebelled as an angelic being and became a powerful demonic being, but they're not on equal ground. There's creator and then everything else created, you, I, and all the angelic realm. So our God is with us and he's in us and he is stronger and greater than anything that can come against us. And this is a Bible promise we have to hold on to and stand in belief upon. Because when spiritual warfare happens or when we're confronting evil against our lives, this truth is the reason that we don't have to be defeated. This truth is the assurance that we don't have to be intimidated by evil or the devil's works. And when you feel threatened or intimidated, cling to that promise, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world operating as he does. John says, verse 5 there, And they are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. So because false teachers are being directed by a false spirit, by a a spiritual ruler of this sinful world system, their message attracts those still living in worldly ways. That's why the worldly individuals will listen to them. He says, they, there, verse 5, they, that's a reference to false teachers not being directed by God's spirit but being directed by a human spirit or a demonic spirit, and that's the origin of what they're saying. He says, notice verse 5, he says, how do they speak? They speak as of the world. The idea is they communicate just like worldly communicators do, because their origin is of worldly things. One translation renders that they speak from the world's viewpoint. That is, they speak according to the world's ideals. They speak according to the world's Perspectives, understanding how the world thinks and how unspiritual people think and how unsaved humanity views things, they cater their message to line up with that worldly mindset. They communicate in a way where they present views and convey ideas that match what's relevant to the modern world system because that's their fishing pond. And so they cater their thoughts and their ideas, and they purposely, even not only their ideas and perspectives, they purposely speak in ways to connect and to attract, to gain the approval of worldly individuals, to gain a following, even speaking in ways, perhaps that are purposely entertaining, because that's what the world likes, entertainment, right? And so this is kind of what's driving them to captivate their listeners. And notice the Bible says in verse five, it actually works. Because he says they don't only speak the way the world wants them to speak and communicate, but he says the world, verse 5, hears them. That is, they're able to gain a following, to have an audience, unspiritual people like what things they have to say, because it appeals to their fleshly human desires. It caters to their bodily appetites or their carnal perspectives, and therefore they embrace their message because it satisfies and affirms what they want to hear. And so therefore, he says, a person who speaks what agrees with worldly standards and, and speaks in entertaining ways in the way that they present, he says, they can succeed, and they can gain quite a following. He says, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. And in contrast, John concludes verse 6, but we are of God, from God. And he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. So as true messengers of God, John says we, but we in contrast. And when he says we there, he's referring to himself and all those who were true apostles of Jesus Christ, particularly among the early church. John was a true apostle of the Lord, as was Peter and James and John and, and Paul. And what he's saying is these are genuine men who were ordained by God, who were sent out by the Holy Spirit and who were being used as well in laying the foundation of the early New Testament church and the origin of Scripture. Second uh, Peter chapter 1 says these men were holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So John is here referring, as he says, we in verse 6. In contrast, he's referring to himself and those who were authentic apostles of Jesus Christ who had apostolic authority, who were men who were true spokesmen for God, who the Spirit of God was upon, who the Spirit of God was speaking through, that were teaching sound doctrine as the early pastors in the church in those days. And notice John tells us here in verse 6 that people's spiritual condition will be evident by how they relate to those who are genuine ministers ordained and used by the Spirit of God. He says there of himself as a genuine spokesman for God together with the others, Paul and Peter, he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. Again, what was John and Peter and Paul speaking? What would become literally the word of God? That's what they were speaking initially. And he says, those who know God experientially are in relationship with God, he says, they hear us, they listen to us, they receive what we're saying because they're receiving God's word and embracing what God's spirit is saying. But he says, in contrast, those who do not know God, that is those who are not in a relationship with God, they don't hear us. They don't want to hear the word of God. They don't want to receive what the spirit of God is saying. And I tell you, this is a very important way for us to know how to measure one's spiritual condition. This Bible truth is incredibly applicable. Those who know God, the Bible says, will have an interest to hear what God is saying. If you genuinely and truly have a relationship with God, you will possess a desire for the word of God. You will have an interest to want to hear God, what he says in his word, what his spirit is communicating, and you will want to hear what the spirit of God is saying. You'll want to hear a message from the Lord. You'll, you'll desire to hear God's voice. And not only that, you will also hear in the sense that you'll be receptive to God's word and God's message, even if it challenges you, right? It may challenge you, but, you'll, but I wanna I want hear what God says and I wanna receive it and heed it, and you'll even be receptive to what God's saying. But then he says, in contrast, those who don't know God. That is, those who do not have a relationship with God will lack interest in the Word of God. They'll have no interest in the Word of God. And one of the ways to tell if someone does not truly know God yet is they'll have no desire for the Word of God. They'll have no interest in wanting to hear what God is saying because they don't know God. And they're genuinely not living in relationship with God, so they don't care what God has to say. And even from time to time, if they hear what the Spirit of God is saying to them, They don't even want to be receptive to it. You know, such people can come and they can even sit in a sanctuary and they can be a part of a church service and and they can respectfully participate, but they view church as a boring obligation. They view a Bible study as something they have to tolerate and they're just counting the moments until that man shuts up. And even if they heard God say something to them, as 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 quickly as they can... They just dismiss it as irrelevant for their life or they reject it and they refuse to respond to what perhaps they heard as God was knocking on, and they know God was knocking on their heart and they just went and they just locked up the door and they have no interest because they don't want to hear from God. And look, this morning, let me say, however that applies to you, please hear what the word of God is saying. If you know God, you're going to want to hear God's word and you're going to to hear from God. If you don't want to hear God and you don't want to hear God's word, God is saying it's because you don't know him yet. And it would be good to reconcile that, to come to know him, to ask his forgiveness and acknowledge, Lord, I've been deceived. I don't know you. And and, and I need you to save me, Lord. I've been wrong because this is missing from my life and you've identified it to my heart. Notice he concludes, this is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. God says there's truth and there's error. And this is how we can know by these things he's just spoken about. Look, it is absolutely possible, folks, to know what's true and false and to avoid living in error. But here becomes the bottom line. The question is, if you or I really want to know or not. That's free will. God wants to show us what's right and wrong, but it's a choice to exercise discernment. It's a decision to want to hear what God is saying. And it's a bigger decision, even more than that, to respond to what God is saying.